Well, I'm glad to see you here. Let's uh, pray, and then we'll, we'll uh, look at this next question. Father, we thank you for the blessing it is to gather, to learn, to um, rehearse these truths that anchor our faith, that help us understand who you are and what you've told us. We thank you that Jesus obeyed the law perfectly for us, even though we fail. We thank you for this season that we celebrate and the fact that if it were not for this season, everything else that comes after it would not have happened. Father, our hope is in Jesus and help us to um, really revel in that today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Last week, Question 12, we, we covered the last two commandments, 9th and 10th. What does the Lord God require in the 9th and 10th commandments? Read this together with me. 9th, that we do not lie or deceive, but speak the truth in love. 10th, that we are content, not envying anyone or resenting what God has given them or us. Um, going through all these and unpacking them has not been easy, has it? I mean, we see what they, they, the meaning there in each of those commandments, it really exposes our hearts. But what, let's try to, since that was the last of the Ten Commandments, this is review what are the Ten Commandments that we know we've got that down. What's the first one? No other, no other gods before me, right? Yep. Uh, no idols. Thou shalt not bow down to any idol, right? Yeah. Make a graven image. And then, not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, right? Word, W on the lips. Um, okay, so you could do a couple different ways. You could go like this, four, rest, but, right, but I, I always take four and go like this as a church, right? But do we, do we obey the, do we have to obey, go to church on, on Sunday? Is like a tenth, fourth commandment, like we're required by law to do that, right? That's the one area that we had some issues with. Okay, five. Honor your father and, Honor your father and mother. Six. <laughs> <laughs> Suppose you'd be like, what? Six, thou shalt not murder, yeah. right? Uh, okay. Seven, don't commit adultery. What? Why? Five, Five. Whoops. <laughs> there are two people in marriage, Matt, not five. Not five. Okay. All right. What's the eighth commandment? Don't steal. Don't steal. Why do we do that? In Singapore, you're going to get your thumbs cut off if you steal. <laughs> and then there's two ways five is not, four is not five. Tell the, don't bear false testimony. Tell the truth. And then five, thou shalt not covet, right? Good. I think that was really helpful for all of us, right? Um, so our new, that's supposed to say question 13, okay? Question 13, can anyone keep the law of God perfectly? Read this with me. Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. 
Ooh, okay, so this now these next three questions are going to dig in a little bit more into the law, but not specifically in the commandments. So what does this mean since the fall? Since the fall, we're talking about this statement here. Can we keep the law of God perfectly? It's talking about from the point of Genesis 3 forward. What happened in Genesis 3? They ate the fruit. And consequently, what happened? Sin came in. Dying, what? Dying, they will die. Dying, they will die. The Hebrew says it really strongly like that. Death and sin entered the picture, right? Um, No mere human. Whoa. Did I do that by hitting this? Oh, wait, wait. I got it. That's kind of weird. I didn't know you could do that. You can like flip back to the desktop. Okay, Um, (laughs) where are we at here? No mere human. So the sentence says, since the fall, no mere human. And oh my goodness, if you want notes, could you just pass these up? I'm I'm not together today. It's it's been a long week for me. (laughs) So no mere human. What are we talking about there? It's no mere human. Has ever been able to perfectly keep the law of God, of law of God. Well, there was one person who kept the law of God perfectly, right? But he was not merely human, only human. He was fully human. We cannot say he was only partially human. And one of our catechisms coming up in probably several months is going to be talking about the who, who Christ was. He was fully God and fully man. So he was not merely human like you and I, right? And then has been able to keep the law of God perfectly. You know, in studying the Ten Commandments, what have we come to understand about its scope? You break one, you break them all. It covers all of life. And none of us are able to keep it perfectly, but we break it in thought, word, or deed. It covers every area of life. So where do we get that from? And specifically what Todd just said, James 2.10 says, if someone, let me just look it up and read it exactly for you here. James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Why is that so? I mean, that actually is kind of a logic statement right there. What is he saying? Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is guilty of all of it. What's another way of saying that? How would you explain this, that verse to someone? Makes you a sinner. No matter what you do, it makes you a sinner. Makes you a sinner. And we all fit in that same category. Yes, because... Sin, as John puts it in 1 John, is transgression of the law. Sinning is breaking God's law. And if I break a law, I am therefore a sinner, a law breaker, right? A sinner, law breaker, same thing, right? That's how James can say that we break one point, you now are a law breaker, which means you don't obey it perfectly, right? But now I do want you to turn to Luke 18. Let's look at Luke 18 and try to just 
unpack where where do we get this catechism question from? How does it say that no one is able to keep God's law perfectly? I mean, we know it because <laughs> all of us in this room know this is true. But where does the Bible teach this? How does the Bible show this to us? Specifically, how does Jesus in the beginning here teach us this? So I'm looking at Luke 18. And I'm going to read from uh, verse 18 to 27. But it's really interesting, the context here uh, of Luke 18. Um, Because forgiveness... And um, Pharisees, all of that are in the context here. Start at verse 18 of Luke 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Okay, so before we go further, which commandments did he start with? Remember how way back we talked about there's two groups of the commandments? One through four deal with what? Right? Us and God. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't worship idols. Uh, Don't take the name of the Lord and God in vain. Honor him in his Sabbath. So it's this way, right? And 5 through 10 are this way, horizontally towards each other. Why do you think he started, Jesus started with the commandments there? It didn't go right to the other ones. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Because we think on the surface, outwardly, these are the easy ones. Because if we take them just at face, at their face, from a literal perspective, behavior outwardly, we can do those, right? We think we can. (laughs) But what have we learned over the last couple of weeks? Those outwardly, God, you're, you're just trying to obey the letter of the law, taking God at just the outward face, not really, God, what is your heart behind these? But Jesus doesn't go there this time. He does in, in the Sermon on the Mount, right? If you, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I say, Jesus doesn't take that approach here. But he first goes to the easy ones because he knew that guy would keep the, had kept the easy ones. So look at verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. So how did he challenge the young man then? I think he's actually going now to the first commandments. How is he going to the first commandments without quoting the first commandments? It's an idol. (laughs) Exactly. What was an idol for him? Money. Money. He went like, there's no other gods before you. You've got a god. And you've made an idol out of it. Exactly. 
So Jesus challenges the idea of who is good, though. Look at the next verses. Uh, Verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he becomes sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? So stop there. If they said who can be saved, that kind of helps you see what their thought process was 2,000 years ago about what kind of person people, rich people were. What did they think rich people were? Righteous. Because if you had good stuff, you had lots of stuff. You were blessed by God because you were good. If you do the right things, you're blessed, and then you had riches. And what's interesting is, is actually Jesus isn't challenging the notion of blessings for obedience here. We may think, see, that's, God does give out a grace, right? It's not dependent on your behavior. He chooses who he wants to give to and when he wants to give to. But what does he challenge? He challenges the very notion of those who are probably the best people aren't good enough, right? He's showing there that you're not even good enough. Like, who could be saved then if these good, good people can't be saved? Then who could be saved? And then, so look at verse 27. But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And then... Stop there, because um, Peter then takes, it, takes the conversation a different point. So, different way. That's, Jesus is saying then, in a sense, he's making a statement that is echoing what we get, what we say in this catechism question. No one is able to obey the, the, the law of God perfectly, right? Okay, now look over at Romans 7. Go over to Romans 7. <clears throat> and I, I'm always hesitant to dip my toes into Romans <laughs> because it's so rich. And I feel like just pointing out some things in it is like going to be dangerous because I'm either maybe going out of context or there's so much to understand. But I think just going here, you're going to get the heart of how this relates to this catechism answer and, and understand that there's so much here, we're not going to cover most of that. just want to see one point here. Look at verse 12 of chapter 7. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Okay, before we look at the next verse, what is Paul saying about the Ten Commandments right there? They're good. They're, they're righteous. It's not like these are flawed, he's saying. Now, verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. See what I mean about we can't go there. This is really deep here. <laughs> Before we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. Now, when Paul starts talking here, we all get what he's saying right here. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. What is he saying about us as people in the law? Right there in that last verse. Josh. Yeah, yeah. Now, that is a very appalling thing to say, Josh. <laughs> Paul. Oh, golly, I didn't even mean to make a pun there. Uh, appalling. Um, <laughs> in our culture, to say that no one does anything good is atrocious to say. How can you say that, Josh? Why can the Bible say that? Because I've seen people do good. Yeah, 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 yeah. So th- there's a couple of things going on here. What is good? What does it mean to really do something good? It's not simply an outward action, is it? So we can do good actions. People do good things. And if they're even doing good actions, it's because of what we call common grace. There's a grace that comes over the whole world. God makes hearts stay beating. God gives rain when they need it, right? There are gifts that God gives. Elon Musk has received a lot of common grace, right? Richest man in the world, right? So, but when we do good, what makes an action good? Thinking caps. Now, Simone. Yeah. And what is, what would it take to make that action good in the heart? How would God be pleased with it? Yeah. And, and how much can it be like, well, part of me has that. Like part of me wants to honor God when I do this. Is that good enough? It has to be like 100%. Fully fueled by, I love God, he made me, and I just want to do this thing for him. That's what's going to make it good. If, that kind of, if we have that kind of definition, are any of us doing anything good ever? <laughs> Ultimately. Like, that's why even our best actions, unless fused with, fueled with grace, ultimately are not good in and of themselves. Now, that brings up another question. How many in your brain are going, can I really do anything good, though? Isn't some of the things I do good? Yes. But to get, like, all technical, right? Ultimately, our our actions in themselves are not perfect. But there, when you come to Christ in faith, what happens? Like, He's giving you now special grace that even taking your actions and what we say, sanctifying them, making them, <laughs> making them worth, making them good, and God is pleased with them. There has to be some way of there being actions that God are pleased with because it talks about all these offerings in the Old Testament. And what does it say that these offerings would be a what kind of aroma to him? A pleasing aroma. It, God somehow can be pleased with our actions, but only if they're covered 
right? And that's what like the whole sacrificial system is like. Even the, the sacrifices themselves had to be sanctified. So our actions are never perfect. And that's the whole point, I think, not the whole point. That's a major point of what Paul's saying here. And Josh, you nailed it, that we're just completely unable without the grace of Jesus to do good. Okay, look at Galatians 3 then. I'm going to be done so early. You'll be like, okay, that's okay. <laughs> Galatians 3.10. Another book that's really difficult at times. So look at ver- chapter 3 of Galatians and look at verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, what do you think he means to rely on works of the law? What, what do you think he means by saying rely on the work? People who rely on the works of the law. What does it mean to rely on that? Josh. It isn't. But what is he, when we say the phrase, someone is relying on the works of the law, because he's talking about people who rely on the works of the law. What does it mean that they're trying to rely on them, though? Themselves. They're trying to what? Themselves. They're trying to rely on themselves. To, to be declared just with God. Just they have to fulfill them. So they yeah. are the deciding factor whether they get in or they get Yes. I'm a good person, so I don't have a mentality. Yeah. Yes, it is. So, I'm trying to rely on myself to obey the law, right? To keep the law, to meet this righteous standard. But Paul's saying that those who do that, relying, are what? What's it say? Cursed. Cursed. Under a curse. Oof. Now, he says, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not. That is a verse he's quoting directly from Deuteronomy 27. All right, so go back to Deuteronomy. Like, even go back to our Joshua. We're entering the Promised Land. Right before they enter the Promised Land and cross over the Jordan River, right before that, they're camped out on the other side of the Jordan River, and the whole book of Deuteronomy is right before they enter. Like, we re- if you're reading, like, if you're going to start reading the Bible through again in January, you get that goal of going through. You'll come to Exodus and Leviticus. You get all these laws, and then you get to Deuteronomy. Like, wait a second. Haven't we just read this before? Because we've got to get lost. What's happening at the beginning of Deuteronomy is that people are about to go into the land and Moses is giving them a history of what they've just come through, but he's doing it to the second generation, not the generation that died in the wilderness, but their children. So that's why he has to rehearse everything over again. And in Deuteronomy 27 and actually 26, there's all these, in 26, there's all these blessings if you keep the law. Moses says, if you go in and obey the law and keep this covenant I'm giving that God is giving us, you'll be blessed. Blessing, 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 blessing. It's crazy, all the blessings. Chapter 27 then starts off, but if you don't, you're going to be cursed. In fact, he says, when you get into the land, you need to go, and I want some people to stand on one hill, six tribes, and I want six tribes to stand on the other hill, and you're going to shout them to each other. Shout the blessings and shout the curses. It's really strange. We're going to see in Joshua actually happen. 
But these curses lists all these horrible things will happen if they don't keep the law. The very last curse is what Paul quotes right there. So curse, 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 and it sounds really bad, and now it's just the worst. Curse is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. So this is not just simply saying that we're unable to do them. We got that in Romans. But Paul's saying is relying on keeping them is going to curse us. We're doomed and we need Jesus. So that really leads us to the why this matter. Why does this matter? So if we're unable to obey these perfectly, what does that mean for us? Well, this passage says we're cursed. What does it take then to please God? So look, keep right there in, verse, uh, in Galatians 3, 10. Look at verse 11, keep going. Now it is evident that no one is justified, meaning declared righteous before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, the perfect, just one can live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. In other words, if you could keep all the law, you'd live by that. But it doesn't happen. 13, here's the hope. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And now you know what the curse of the law is. The it's not that the law is bad. He said that in Romans 7, right? He said it's holy. It's good. But it also brings a curse because we don't do them. By be- Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, and this is another one of those curses, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So, why does this whole catechism answer matter? Because no one's able to perfectly obey it. Why does the truth of that matter? Why does it matter to us? Like, if you just camped on that for a little bit, how happy or sad are you going to be just on the bare answer What's this say? Look at the top of your hand out there. Since the fall, no one has been able to keep the law perfectly, but we break it all the time. What is that going to do for you? Thank you. <laughs> You're going to be so discouraged because you know this is me. So that matters, though, because you know it's you. You look at it and you say, I am the man or the woman, right? That's me. That's why this matters, because if you don't see it as you, you need to go back to these verses, right? You need to, to say, okay, God, hmm. <laughs> I think I, I, I am, you know, like we just watched Forrest Gump again. I'm like Lieutenant Dan up on top of the mast in the, in the, the storm, waving his fist at God, trying to tell God what to do. It's an interesting picture, because what does that storm do to him? It breaks him, right? He realizes that he can't fight against that God. And if you don't see, this matters because if you, this, this question matters because if you don't see yourself as that person, you're waving your fist at God and you're cursed. But where's the hope then too, right? The hope is in Jesus, isn't it? So why else though is, does this 
question matter? And, and maybe what other questions come to your mind if you just think about this a little bit? I mean, I've kind of already touched on it a little bit. Simone, looks like you have a question. Nope. Or a statement, like, why does it matter? There's the question that comes to my mind. So a Christian today, can I obey the law of God perfectly now, now that I have Christ? I'm hearing no's. Is everybody in agreement that it's a no? Because there are some people that think there are days that I can go completely without sinning. That thought in itself is a sin, exactly, Aaron. Now, I want to just, in theory. So to be fair, I I think this, to be fair, you should say that. Because if I have the power of Christ in me, and what is, what do we, we have a couple of songs that we sing about chains, right? Mm -hmm. What do we say in those songs about chains? They're free, they're broken, right? In theory, I the power, not in theory, the power of sin has been broken. Because of that, I should be able to. So in theory, I could go a day without sinning. Now, I'll just bring up a name, and I need to find the documentation for this to actually back it up. So I'll tell you it's rumor until I actually prove it. I've heard that um, Chuck Swindoll believes that he goes some days without sinning. <laughs> and I'm like, Wow. But he would say to you, I'm sure, if he was right here, well, by the power of the Spirit, I had some really, really good days. Okay. But only you and God know that. And by theory, in theory, the power of the Spirit is working. And, and there are some branches in Christianity that are, I would say, even true gospel-believing Christians. They have this idea of perfectionism. John Wesley believed that you could arrive at a state of perfection as a Christian. That the power of the Spirit's worked in you so much that you... We'll get to it. Now, he said himself that he never reached that state. But in theory, you, do you see how the theory, like if I have the power of the spirit of God, you, you're all like, no, I don't. Because why? Why do you all feel like no? No, because there's sins that you're doing that you don't even know. We're, and you feel it too, right? You're like, I, how, I feel so discouraged. What were you going to say? Well, I'm just thinking like our flesh is sin. Yeah. Like we are. It said that. Yeah. God. Until we are in heaven with him. Yes. Like, every thought no. that you have another day <laughs> so is perfect. I, no. I get it. Like, in theory, that's right? a beautiful picture. I yep. would love to be able to achieve that. But even that in and of itself is kind of like a selfish you know, <laughs> right? you wish. You know? Yes. In John, it says, if we say we do not sin, the lie and the truth is not in us. Now, I'm, I'm, I like Chuck Swindoll's preaching. Okay, and 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 I may it may may have been a rumor, it might have been wrong, right? I'd like to find out where he said that. But I, I, the only reason why I even throw out the in theory words is because what we can't do is uh-huh. say, "Well, I can't help it." You know, no, you can't ever get to that point. You, you take full responsibility for every single one of your sins. It's never because God hasn't given me enough to not sin. I know yeah. I'm keep at it. But I think that's why the gospel is so good because this that conversation of can we, can we not becomes, I think it's called a moot point. Because suddenly, when you get the gospel, suddenly it's, it's not about that anymore. Uh, it's, I always picture in my mind like the difference between um, 
I'm going to use the example of painting something. So if somebody had their life hanging in the balance, if they could do a copy of uh, um, some Rembrandt, the pressure of getting that exactly right would be, you know, unfathomable. But but when you have kids and they go to paint you a picture, you're just absolutely pleased yes, yes. with what they brought to you. Yes. It doesn't have to be a Rembrandt. That's not the point. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you're freed from that entire way of thinking that I, I don't have to dwell there. Now everything is about I'm already righteous. Yes. I'm just doing this in gratitude. One of the best books I've read coming out of this is going to be recorded. Coming out of the very legalistic environment I grew up in, and some of you know what I'm talking about, um, was a book by Jerry Bridges called Transforming Grace. And I highly recommend it because if you have a background of struggling with trying to make sure you're doing the right thing in order to please God, even after you've become a Christian, you know that. Like, for instance, I love the example he used in there is, you know, if someone came along to you and asked next week, let's say Paul and Matt both get sick. Um, can you teach Sunday school next week? If the thoughts that come to your mind are, well, man, I've not been in the word this last couple of weeks. I've, I've been screwing up here and there or just shame, then you're not understanding this grace he's talking about. <laughs> you're not understanding grace. And, and I love that picture of, of a coloring page because any works that I offer up to God, he loves them because I'm his child. And he fills them with grace and makes them the offerings of the saints presented before the throne that you see in Revelation are just because of the blood of the Lamb. And so it's beautiful. But the error, I love that's, that's the other point that we have to take is we can't. The error on the other side is that I go, well, I'm just going to sin. Jesus covered it all. Yeah. Woo! And, and, and Aaron has brought this verse up before. Paul says exactly, does that mean we should go and do that more? No, by no means. In fact, in the Greek, it's the strongest way you can say no. It's two no's put together and not like a math double, the negate them out. It's, it's the strongest way you can say no. Like you could say, you know what? No. <laughs> it's what he's saying. No way. That, that grace pushes us to do what's right, right? Okay, what else? Why else does this matter? Any other thoughts, questions on why does this question matter? Or any other thoughts that are related to what we're talking about here? Here we go. Since the fall, no mere human has been able to keep the law of God perfectly, but consistently breaks it in thought, word, and deed. I'll say it gives us hope in a couple of things. Mm -hmm. One, we don't, it's not that we don't want to, but we don't have to mm -hmm. be perfect. Yeah. We have Jesus. To cover that. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. give us permission to be reckless. Uh, but it gives, it empowers us, too, because we now put our hope in Christ and not in ourselves because yeah. we know that we're going to fail. Yeah. Yeah, and, exactly. And, 
we can't do anything without Christ. So all of our, everything that we put on that should be put on that. Right. Um, and he'll, we know he wins in the end, you know. And so it's like kind of a no-brainer, but yet we're so like, I don't you said two things, and I think I know what the other thing was. That was one thing. It was the other thing that it's encouraging because I know I'm not alone. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. We're, we're all in it. We're all in it. It's, it's, yeah. Josh. To expound on that, um, also in Romans, I believe it's Romans, uh, Paul says um, all things are permissible but not everything is beneficial. And I think that ties into that really well because even though Christ's blood covers our sin that we cannot keep fully committing, we still have earthly consequences to our actions. So even though Jesus does cover that sin, the reality is that sin is sin for a reason. It's not just, I don't like it because I'm God. It's, it's bad for you. Yes. You know, these actions or yes. thoughts lead to trouble down the line or immediate consequences like say you commit murder on the prison. Right. Mean, there's so many different things that are practical. Yeah. Well, that nobody talks about. And Hebrews even says that as a father disciplines his child that the that God disciplines us and it's in love. Mm. Like there's consequences and like even child, disciplining your children or even consequences for somebody in a Christian situation, they're always like, well, aren't you supposed to be graceful? Yes, and you're forgiven, but there's still consequences. <laughs> right? Matt? Uh, another reason why I think this matters is, uh, I think the guy's name is Ray Comfort, where he goes around and he'll, I mean, understanding the law and that we can't keep it is so helpful for demolishing people's self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. And that's a part of leading someone to Christ sometimes is helping them see they're not good. Right. And I, I mean, I don't agree with everything Ray Comfort does, but right. I like, I enjoy watching when he'll, he'll say, are you a good person? And a lot of people go, yeah. And I say, you know, the 10 commandments and he'll, he'll start going, you know, down some of those things. And it's, it's fun to watch people fun to watch people go, Oh gosh, I'm a liar, adulterer, murderer. And, you know, yeah, the yeah. And, and haven't been honoring God. And, yeah. So, and this, we're not going to have Sunday school next week, but we will the, the following Sunday, January 2nd. And in that question there, we're going to get at, did God create us this way? Right? Messed up. And we know we did, we're not. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But the question then, I think this still begs is, does that mean... We are completely evil people. Because I think one of the errors, if you like, don't stay balanced, if you talk about this aspect itself too much, you begin to think that we are as evil as we possibly could be. But that isn't true either. There is still, God made us in his image, and you do, can do good things. doesn't make you a good person. That's the difference. Like, you can do good actions. They're not perfectly, as we said, but grace is in there, right? And there's, there's beauty in the image of God and all kinds of aspects that we could kind of go off the rails if we focus only on this. And we, 
we're going to talk about, when we talk about sin and, and like the third question from this, that there's this term depravity. We're completely touched by sin in every aspect. My thinking, my physical body. But the error there is to think that that word total depravity means that I'm as awful as it's possibly able to be. And that isn't what that means. It means that there is not a part of me that's not touched by, <laughs> by sin. Someone out in the window just went like this. <laughs> and you could take that a couple ways. <laughs> yeah. Right. But when we all realize that we're in the same boat, yep. it makes it easier to extend grace or yes. to yes. grace to each other. Yes. You know. And and what I'm talking about is, is the, the, the when you camp out on the fact that we're all failing to keep this, you tend to forget that you've been given grace and we need to extend grace <laughs> and that we're in this boat together. But that doesn't mean we drown our sorrows. <laughs> It means we keep pointing each other back to Jesus. All right, so apparently I'm going to be executed if I don't close in prayer. So let me close in prayer. God, I do thank you so much for grace, for Jesus, because we do know, we feel this question in our bones. We know the doubts that we have. We know the the shame that we feel. We know... I know that even this week, just the battle in my heart towards selfishness and wanting life to be easy for me, I know how I acutely did not measure up this week. And yet you, in your grace, covered your son Jesus obeyed this law perfectly in my place. So, Father, I thank you so much for the forgiveness that you extend to us and that in the eyes of you, we are as righteous as your son because you have given him, declared us righteous in him, made us your children, and you'll never unadopt us. Father, thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.